everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. Over the years, our traditional approach to cybersecurity has been the use of passwords and password-based authentication. Now, passwords have provided the cyberspace-based digital systems and platforms with a barrier to access what was quite safe in the analog world. However, since the digital age provided the means to quickly try hundreds of thousands of passwords in a short time, the password-based authentication system is no longer considered safe and secure. Now, since hacking passwords have become relatively simple, it is no surprise that we need effectiveness of authentication systems for our digital identity and digital age. As a result, a new approach to identity authentication has become essential. To evaluate the latest advances in one such approach, I'm delighted to welcome Professor Sergio Magalhães to Risk Roundup. Professor Dr. Sergio is the Department Chair of Cybersecurity at Champlain College based in the United States. He has also published a book on the viability requirements and implementation of behavioral biometric technologies. He's a widely published author and a very reputed and uh, very impressive work that he has done over the years in this field. Mo most of the discussion that we'll have today is based on the work that he has done and the articles that he has published over the years. Welcome, Professor Sergio. We are so very honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Wonderful, Professor. So let's begin our discussion. You uh, understanding the digital user authentication and the current trends that we see in the market over all across nations. Now, it seems that the majority of computer systems employ a login ID and password as the principal method for access security. Now, in standalone situations, if your computers are not connected to the internet, this seems, you know, uh, very effective and this level of security may be adequate and, you know, it would be just fine. But when computers are connected to the internet, the vulnerability of a security breach is very highly, you know, increased. So what are the common authentication solutions used today to reduce vulnerability cyber attacks? And from your assessment, do you think that they are effective? Yeah, that's a very good question. So we started uh, developing habits in technologies many, many years ago when everything was different, when we had private networks, um, internet was not widely available, computational power to break passwords um, was <laughs> nothing similar to what we have today and so we developed this fundamental idea that as long as a password is long and is complex and um, that is good enough and it was uh, and uh, authentication like anything else in cybersecurity, is about balancing the risk with uh, what we are trying to protect and it was good but then things changed as you were saying um, to start the computational power increased uh, exponentially and so it's much easier to, to break to do a, a brute force attack to a password but also users changed 20 years ago we could have maybe two different username and passwords for two different systems today we have hundreds of systems where we are required to log in and we need the username and the password for each one of those and that old idea that we should have different usernames and different passwords for each system is no longer viable. Human beings can't have uh, 200 usernames and passwords that are totally different from each other. Where 
each password can't have any semantic meaning so that we don't we can't use dictionary attacks um, they have to be different from each other and so, uh, we should change them often no passwords shouldn't last more than three months that doesn't work with what a human being is but we stayed in that realm and we stayed in that that those old habits and the fact is that when we are providing a service we want everybody to feel comfortable when they are accessing the system we don't want to create barriers for our clients and for our users and passwords are something that users are used to <laughs> and so systems continue to use that and we have uh, seen some changes especially in mobile devices we now see uh, fingerprint recognition we see some uh, facial recognition in mobile devices so there is a small change in that um but it's just not good enough yes you're you're absolutely right like you said the whole system has evolved everything has evolved from computing power to users everything everyone and everything has evolved and like you said you know if each one of us has to keep hundreds of passwords and user id you know how will you remember that you know human memory you know is uh, not that strong and is not that efficient that we can recall all different passwords so we do have to then write it down somewhere or you know log it somewhere or use password manager but that also brings you know a lot of extra risk so there is a need for change and absolutely you know because our systems have you know become much more complex and everything is going digital so everybody is using everything and now right now we are just using human authentication now we you know we will have to start worrying about machine authentication as well because you know this we are you know rapidly moving towards uh, making everything smart everything is becoming intelligent from homes to enterprises every device every you know initiative we are trying to make it smart so how do you you know authenticate each and every uh, device each and every human being uh, fr from across nations it's a very very complex task and uh, as you said face you know facetime i mean facial id not facetime it's so common mm -hmm. that it just comes to you facial id and you know fingerprints all these biometrics you know are beginning to be used and there is a lot of potential in biometrics but these biometrics are also from what we see like right now if you see with people wearing the facial mask the that will not work because you know the facial id it cannot recognize that it, it cannot recognize the patterns so there are serious flaws in that and you know it ai can copy that as well so while we are seeing the trend moving towards the uh, physiological biometrics is that do you see that we can effectively use that or we have to move towards you know another approach yeah there, there's definitely room for those type of biometrics in some situations um but there are a lot of challenges so even if you think about uh, physical access to a building for instance or to a server room um fingerprint recognition is a system that actually works very well but now with the challenge for instance that we are currently living with um, COVID-19, do we really want everybody to place their finger on the same device? And so there are challenges there, but the, where the challenge is more obvious is in distributed environments. So if everybody is more and more working from home, uh, if we are accessing services on the cloud and everybody is using their own machines 
we can't expect clients to have the hardware that is needed for most of those systems. A fingerprint uh, recognition system, which is something that people accept with now, with there's a high level of acceptance for that type of technology, requires a reader. And if we start thinking of about the vulnerabilities of fingerprint, it can't be just any reader. We want something that is able to distinguish a live finger from a dead finger, uh, a live finger from a, a, a synthetic um, copy of that finger. Um, many, many. So my daughter is 17 years old. So 17 years ago, I wrote a paper on exactly how to imitate a, a, a fingerprint. And we need readers that are able to do that. So when, from the perspective of a business, we don't want to say my clients are limited to those that have a fingerprint hardware uh, uh, system. So we need something that people are already using and that it, they are comfortable with. And that's why the, the work that you, you mentioned around keystroke dynamics and the, the way people behave when they are interacting with a machine, uh, in the case of keystroke dynamics, how we type, uh, in the case of pointer dynamics, how we interact with pointing devices or touch screens. That's why that is so appealing, because it's still a biometric um, enhancement of an authentication system, but it uses exactly the same device that people are using to access our system, and we are not leaving anybody uh, out of the realm. If we move away from business and we start thinking about electronic government, there's also a, a question of democracy here. Do you want services provided by the government to be limited to those that have a specific type of hardware? And so again, if you can add a biometric layer to something that users must have to, if they are interacting with us, if they are using our system, our system they are certainly either with a keyboard or with a touch screen. And so if we can add a layer of biometric uh, intelligence to that authentication system using what they already have and something that is transparent and comfortable to them. That's that's great. That's that's a way to improve on the security without leaving anybody behind, without losing market, and also uh, using something that is comfortable for the user. No, I think I think you're right about it. The point that you made about your daughter growing and you know over the years how the fingerprint could change. I think that's an excellent point, you know, to understand where the complexities rise when you are trying to use the physiological biometrics, because it is all about how you collect the data, when you collect the data. If you take, collect the data during the enrollment process of anyone, any child, any you know human being, at uh, any adult at any point, the environment also plays a role. For example, you know, if you are looking at someone trying to take someone's retina scan, iris scan, then, you know, the amount of life that is around that, that also can play a role. And now when you are trying to authenticate that, all those variables will come into play. So there are a lot of complex challenges when we try to use these physiological biometrics. And yes, I mean, there are many different alternatives. People are also trying to uh, develop a DNA-based biometrics. People are also trying to use brain waves. So there are a lot of, you know, different approaches that are experimented. And we will have to see in the coming years where this goes. But the bottom line is that for any of those data, 
any of those biometric data, how we store them. And if the data that is stored, if that is, you know, accessed by any intelligence system, if any AI can copy that, duplicate that, do we have the capability to differentiate that this is AI that is, you know, uh, using that data and it's not the human being? So to differentiate whether there is a live human being using that data or whether that is a, you know, any entity, any AI system using that data, is going to determine whether we are successful in our approach. So the alternative that you have been, you know, working on, it was is really impressive. I have read almost all of your papers, and that really excited me because it, where you are going with this research, I think it's very interesting. Now I had a discussion with a gentleman from Japan also. He also came up with the uh, idea that instead of using this number password and symbols and all, let's use a graphic memory of any event. And I, I was thinking about that, that it's very, you know, important to investigate this further. And that led me to do more research. And I stumbled across your papers and I started reading them because we need an alternative to these, you know, text-based passwords or physiological, you know, biometric-based uh, uh, authentication system because these uh, we can use graphical passwords and that could work but how we should approach that should that be only this you know part of the system that we are developing that we just use someone's memory or there needs to be more than that so what is your assessment of that if we use just you know someone's memory and some graph a graphic you know password do you think that will be effective well graphic authentication starts at the ground base by increasing the number of possibilities. So when we have a password with letters and numbers and symbols, there's a number of different possibilities. When we move into the graphical authentication, the number of possibilities is much bigger. So that alone adds a layer of complexity because now to do a brute force attack, we need to try many more possibilities, makes it much harder. But of course we see computers progressing we have been they have been computational capability has been growing and it's going to continue to increase and it, it won't be enough but it's good to see like again in the mobile industry some type of graphical authentication coming up even if in a limited way um, there's before going into the biometrical aspect of that there's another layer that is very interesting with graphical authentication is that if, if your system allows the user to upload their own image then it also the, the graphical authentication also serves as an authentication of the system itself of course there can be a man in the middle but there are ways of working around that i remember uh, one of the solutions we came up with was that the image when it comes to the user actually has the ip address of the person that asks for that image and so that allows us to know that there is not a man in the middle attack. But the fact that I go into your website and one of the challenges that we have is all the scams that are around there and with phishing attacks, how do I know that this website is actually the website that I was trying to access? And it can, it can be challenging. So if I go into a, user, a login page, I insert my username, and the system returns an image that I was the one creating, 
then I, there's a, an additional layer of confidence that that website is actually the right one. And then I can go and do whatever it is that is my graphical authentication. I can pick points in the image, or I can make a draw, um, something like that. But it's very important to also limit the type of images that you can use. We found that people, because there's a limitation to memory, tend to choose, if it's a, 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 an image of a face, they'll tend to choose the eyes, the mouth, the, the nose. So, because human beings will always be human, they are, we need to be make sure that images have certain characteristics that will make it complex to guess what is the, the, the secret of that person. But above that, we can come with what we call pointer dynamics. So, what's the behavior of, of this person when picking the points? Not only the sequence, but how fast that, does that person does it? What's the, the, the relative dimension of the dots that are covered by my finger when I'm using that? A lot of behavioral aspects of the way we interact with the touchscreen or with the mouse pad um, that can be captured in a behavioral biometric and add that additional layer. So I would say that just moving from text-based passwords to graphical authentication is already a great step, but then we can add this layer of biometric, behavioral biometric authentication over that graphical authentication to have something that is just not just knowledge-based, but is based on what makes us human, which is how we behave. Yes, you are absolutely right. And you, I agree with your approach that, you know, if I have to define uh, identification system, then I will make sure that it has many variables, not just one variable that we depend on, because then we are increasing our chances of security because to hack into each and every variable will be very difficult. And we can integrate all that and we can come up with a unique system that will be very difficult for hackers to break into. So from what you are saying, you know, to have that additional layer of behavioral analysis and to make sure that we are focusing on how each and every individual behaves, that is going to be very useful. And it's, I think it will be very effective as well because it is very difficult. It will be very difficult for any hacker to be able to uh, come up with that. I mean, yes, of course, with a lot of resources and a uh, lot of effort, anybody can uh, copy, understand, you know, anybody's behavior and copy that. But it would require a lot of effort and the nature and kind of, you know, hacks that we are seeing that anybody's password or anything can be hacked so easily, that will be, you know, we will be able to eliminate. So from uh, the research that you have done, uh, the keyboard, uh, you know, how we type on our keyboards, what information can be extracted from that typing? What kind of uh, information can be extracted that we can use for the behavior analysis? Yeah, um, so the, the way uh, each person types is very unique. And when we started, so people started realizing that we have patterns in the way we use our hands and we communicate a um, long time ago with, with the telegraph. The, the telegraph operators would know the person on the other side by the, the, the type of rhythm that they would use in, when telegraphing. And later, um, we discovered that, people discovered that when typewriting, there was also a pattern. So what Keystock Dynamics did was kind of 
build on that for the, 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 the age of computers. And so what we basically do is basically try to understand what's the relation between the times, between the moment we start pressing, we, we pressure a, a, a key to the moment we release, and then again to pressing another one and releasing that one, those are the types of times that we measure. And I remember in the early days, I had a paper that I submitted and came with a peer review saying, this can't work because if I have a cup of coffee, it will change my dynamics. And I can understand it. It's counterintuitive. But the fact is that even if I'm typing faster or, or, or not that fast, or if I'm more tired, the type of relation that we have between those um, those times is, is is unique. So I might be moving faster. So we are not working with the, the, the times, exactly the times, but with the relation between those times. And and, and it works. And the fact we, we had this hypothesis that it could be, uh, there, there could be a relation with the distance of the, the keys in the keyboard. So we did, did a few experiments to check if that was the case, and it wasn't. People change from one keyboard to the other, and they need a few seconds to adapt sometimes, but they will still have that same pattern in the relations between how long the key is down and uh, how long it takes for the next key to be down. And that's what we measure. It, 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 it is very, very good. No, I, I, I believe you because it is not about... this. Is I don't think these kind of systems are one-time uh, test or is static you have to continuously monitor the behavior you know you have to continuously monitor so it's not like when you enroll for the physiological biometrics data you know you take a one-time retina scan and that is entered into the system and that becomes a de facto standard in keystroke based system i don't think it is about one time you type it and that data gets into the system and that is it you know no no deviation can happen from that so this is you are under, trying to understand the behavior in how that human types on the keyboard. So it is more than one time that you are going to evaluate that. So it, it, it will be probably hundreds of times you will see that, you know, hundreds of thousands of times how, you know, that individual uh, types on the keyboard. So any deviation, like the example you gave about the coffee cup, you know, those will be eliminated because in the end, you can make the system intelligent. You can in, create an algorithm and you can use effectively AI to make this process intelligent. And once it is intelligent, it will be easy to eliminate these kind of instances when somebody is typing or when somebody is, you know, tired or how that changes, you know, their dynamics. And if somebody is talking and, you know, trying to type at the same time, how those behavior dynamics will change. I think those kind of errors we will be able to eliminate because we will be able to make the process intelligent. Now, it seems that with the keystroke based, this behavior biometrics, any attributes that we collect for the authentication process. So as we have been discussing, it's not one-time process, but from what you have developed for the system, do you, how often do you update the data? Is it continuously or you? Okay. Yeah, so what happens is like in any biometric system, a person enrolls. And when they do the enrollment, they have to type their pattern, their password, or their graphical pattern uh, a, a few times so that the system can learn what's that initial pattern. 
then every time that a person successfully authenticates into the system, that new pattern, as long as it, so there's a margin of uh, acceptable times and patterns. So it's not, you need to spend exactly five seconds in one and four seconds in the other, or that the, 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 the second is going to be off of the time of the first. There's a, an, an interval there that is acceptable that the computer says, okay, with inside this interval, this is the correct user. And every time a user successfully logs in, that new pattern is brought into the system and the oldest pattern that we have is deleted. And this allows for the pattern to progress with the person as the, the sequence becomes more and more known to the person. And the person is, is, is evolving as a human being, but also evolving as a user of that sequence. The pattern evolves with that person and we delete the oldest one and we bring the new one and recalculate the new pattern for, so that the system evolves as the user evolves. And that, that's, that's how we are able to continue to have a pattern that is a pattern for the user at that moment in time, not a pattern for who that user was five months ago. That, that's a really good point because you are evolving your system with time and you are evolving the system with the user. So as the user gets older, you know, it definitely, you know, some changes will be there in how we use our keyboards, how we do everything, you know, we, we ourselves evolve. So if the system also evolves with the user, how, you know, user is evolving, that would always uh, bring that extra, you know, additional step of security and additional step of, you know, data. So I, I, I like the process that you have, you know, developed because I think it is going to be very effective. Now, once the keystroke data has been collected, how do you, how is the reference signature obtained for any of the user? You uh, identify the pattern, pattern, you know, keeps, you know, evolving, the data keeps evolving. So how does this uh, signature, you know, work? How does the whole authentication, identification and authentication system work? Uh, by using, by understanding what, by defining what is that signature, and by uh, identifying every time when someone tries to log in. So basically, what happens is when you uh, are inserting your pattern, the system captures all that information, uh, and uh, all of this gets encrypted and sent to the server. The server uh, deciphers that. And then it looks, it, it, it breaks it down to the several components of what we are measuring. And uh, the algorithm that we worked on, what it does is, so you have all of these points that we are measuring, how, how much time the, the first key was down, uh, how much time uh, it took from the moment I released the first key to the moment I pressed the second key, all of those points will be uh, inputted into the system as a yes or no inside the interval. And then there's a, a valuation system that if you have a yes, 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 that is much better than a yes, no, yes, no, uh, because there's a consistency in that. So we, we give points not only for being inside the interval, but also for those consistencies in parts of the pattern, and if it's closer to the to, to, to the value expected, 
there's a different point for being not so confident about that interval. And all of that generates uh, a value of trust. Let's say, okay, the computer is 85% sure that this user is the right user. And then I keep telling to my students here at Champlain College Online in our cybersecurity program, there isn't never a situation where we want this or we want that, and that is the one size fits all for everybody. It's up to the risk analysis team to say, in this system, with this data that we are trying to protect, under these environmental conditions that we have this, at this moment, we will allow users that know the secret, because both with keystroke dynamics and pointer dynamics, you first need to know what is the password or what is that, that graphical sequence. So we will allow users that know the password and that we are 93% confident that it's that person because of the pattern, okay, above 93, we'll accept them. In a different situation, 93 might be too much. And in another situation, 93 might, be, might not be enough. So there's this risk analysis of where's, where's the threshold that because human behavior is, is always a probabilistic decision. And well, 20 years ago, it was, it was harder to work with probability, even if biometrics was also always about defining a threshold. Now, as we move into quantum computing, people get more used to the idea that we work more with probabilities. But it's this, it's understanding that there's an environment. That environment defines a risk uh, um, for our organization. Our data might be of more value. Like you mentioned before, if we have infinite resources, of course we can probably break any system. But people are going to dedicate the resources that the value of the data makes those resources justifiable. So we need to assess the value of our data, assess the type of users that we have and their capability and their, their resilience to maybe being rejected one time and having to input the data again, and the risk of the environment. And that's why I keep telling to our students in the cyber program, it's not just about the zeros and the ones and the technology, it's about understanding the society we are in and the, the people that we are working with. But that, that's basically that. We, get, we have a, a, a system of points, and then those points might be enough or not be enough to say, we will allow you that know the secret with this point to go in. Yes, very true. Now, that's an excellent point you made because we have to understand which platforms and which systems in the digital age requires what kind of authentication because not all the systems require this, you know, very intense authentication process. If you are just going on some website to read, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Can log in with some password, but if you don't have any financial data or any personally identified information there, then there is not need for you know much security. But if you are going to your bank account or if you are trying to uh, go to do some trading or use you know some platform where the utmost uh, level of security is required, then we have to see which will be the best you know options here. So uh, you are right, absolutely right that each environment we have to evaluate and we have to see how what is the best way to move forward and. 
what are what is the probability that we can look at and what kind of systems we want to use now it seems that you have probably you know done a lot of analysis over the years of all the systems that are out there so when we compare your system uh, the keystroke dynamic dynamics algorithm and evaluate it with other systems under the if we have to you know evaluate its efficacy on one platform let's say you know trying to access some uh, you know kind of uh, financial data or go to the financial system then how do you how would you rate your system uh, with all these other authentication techniques that are out there yeah so first it's important to say that i'm not the only person working on keystrokes dynamics a lot of researchers are working on keystrokes dynamics um but what I find unfair, to be honest, is to compare a system like Keystrokes Dynamics to a system like a fingerprint system. Um, so when we are using most of the biometric systems, that is the authentication factor. And if you also have a password, that's two factors of authentication uh, that are separate. And if a person places their finger, they are placing their finger. That's it. And if the person is inserting a password and placing their finger, they are doing two different things. In a keystroke dynamics, the user is doing one thing only. The person is inserting that, that password or that graphical sequence. Only one step. What this type of system brings is a, an added layer of security to that one step without requiring the user to be bothered by an additional step. So we see now a lot of systems requiring uh, two-factor authentication. Very often a text is sent to your phone with a code, and that is also a very interesting system to guarantee the level of authentication. But what does that mean? That means that if I want to access my system, I need to have the phone with me. If I have no battery on my phone, now I can't access it. So I'm creating barriers to accessing the service. And keystroke dynamics and pointer dynamics don't create barriers, don't create additional effort on the user. Right, so, so, like an invisible layer, right? I mean, you wouldn't even know that your thing is being analyzed. So that's really, you know, very effective because once you enter the system, it is silently you are being, you know, audited. You are being authenticated, and you won't even have to worry about, like you say, the two-factor authentication, which is, you know, also working well for most of the, you know, systems. But this is an additional, you know, silent, invisible layer. I think it's uh, really impressive, you know, and I it could work. And in one of your paper, you say that the precision of a biometric technology is usually measured by its false acceptance rate the permeability of the algorithms to attacks by its uh, false rejection rate, the resistance of the algorithm to accept a legitimate user and by its crossover error rate, the intersection point of the FAR curve and the FRR curve that indicates the level of usability of the technology. So what is the precision of the keystroke-based authentication technology? Because it looks like you have done a lot of quantitative analysis here. Yes. So in the beginning, we were not actually too worried about that. In the beginning, we were basically trying to understand, um, is this feasible? Um, can we use this? And there's a, a very interesting paper by Peacock that compares several systems, and we could see everything from 4% to 20% in that crossover error rate. Uh, now, 
we have systems that have crossover error rates around 2%. Uh, but for me, the crossover error rate is very interesting from an academic perspective, so that I can compare and see is this feasible. But what I'm more interested about is what is the false acceptance rate? How many times an intruder will go in at a false rejection rate that I can accept? So let me try to give an example of this. We've all seen people placing their fingers multiple times in the computer trying to log in. One time didn't work, two times didn't work, three times didn't work. And if I accept that a person might, must have to introduce their, their password sometimes two or three times because it doesn't work at the first time, if I accept that level of effort for the user, what is the false rejection or the false acceptance rate that I have? And we now have Keystalk Dynamics that if a person on average has to submit their password twice, then it's almost impossible for an intruder to go in. It will be an intruder that already knows the secret, already knows the password, one in 10,000 times would be able to go in. And, and we are talking about somebody that already knows the secret and we are supposed to keep the secret secret. Uh, if we increase the number, the average time that the people have to insert the password, we have even more security. But on the other side, so if we are talking about maybe um, armed forces environment where we have a very strong security that needs to be in place, users will understand, okay, sometimes I, I'll have to introduce my password twice or even three times to be able to go in because we are looking for this extraordinary secure system. If I'm in an e-business platform that now is working just with the password and nothing else, I might make sure that the person only has to introduce their password once, no additional effort, no barrier to the client. And even if the person already knows the secret, still 96% of the times that, that they, they try to come in knowing the secret, they will still be blocked. And there's that, that margin of the threshold that is different for different people, different for, for different systems, different for different risk analysis that the Kidlocks dynamics allows us to make. And that, yes. that's what makes it so appealing. Yes, very true. Now, the algorithm that runs this, you know, keystroke behavioral uh, analytics in the background, what is the processing capability of that algorithm? In, 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 what, in, what, in what sense? In terms of how many people or? Uh, yes. the, yeah, it, from our experiments, we have grown this to situations where we had thousands of users um, and it doesn't add a lot of computational um, needs. Um, it's very efficient. Um, the, the communication itself uh, is a little bit more demanding because uh, information is, is going encrypted there. But it's a small sequence. And so it's not, it's not much more than what you just get for having HTTPS instead of HTTP. So when with the new type of networks that we have, it's the, the additional effort and even the additional costs that come with that energy, uh, hardware, maintenance, it's, it's not that much and it's really scalable. And so it, it, 
again, um, I know I'm biased because <laughs> I've been working in this system for so long, but um, it, it's a, a very interesting uh, add-on to systems provided by governments, by industries, that creates no barrier, doesn't add a lot to the costs, doesn't require hardware that is better than the ones we commonly have now. We could implement this on a smartwatch with no problem at all. Um, and so it, it, it's a very appealing uh, technology, and I believe that in the near future, we'll start seeing more and more of this. Oh, absolutely. I do agree that it's a very appealing technology, and I uh, think that there is a lot of potential there. But if we see human behavior, it changes with time. And we discussed that, you know, earlier also, that how, you know, your system, you know, keeps evolving with the, uh, you know, evolution of the human itself, you know, as human grows or, you know, the ways change and all that. So this algorithm, it seems that it promotes a strategy for a dynamic pattern store that allows it to evolve with the user keystroke changes. So do you see that there is a need for further studies or is this system ready to be applied and commercialized? Well, it is definitely ready to be applied and commercialized, but we always need more studies. We can always use new artificial intelligence techniques to make it even better, make, make it um, more efficient in terms of computational, the algorithm that makes the computation make it more efficient, uh, looking for something that we missed on the data. Um, but there's always room for science to evolve. But as it is now, it's definitely ready to be implemented in commercial solutions. Um, and there was um, a company that used it a couple of years ago. Um, and um, I was kind of surprised that they stopped using it, um, not because it had any type of problems, it was working just fine, but because their risk analysis said, we don't need to have an additional layer. It's just fine as it is. Uh, as uh, passwords are fine for our system just because we don't have that 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 threat. Um, I was surprised that they made that call, but it also comes with my philosophy that if you don't have threats and the data that you're protecting doesn't need to be protected, it's just kind of, okay, let's know who this person is, but not because we are protecting that data, so that let's save the the database and save that computation it it it, it, it is aligned with my philosophy even if i don't agree that that data uh, is, is of, of no value at all so but that, that was that was a real interesting experiment with thousands of users um, and the, the, it kind of served to prove that the system works and so it's definitely ready to be implemented and commercialized that's great so uh, earlier you mentioned that there would not be any scalability issues if we have to, you know, scale it at a level where let's say for the entire country, you know, needs to use it. You think it would be ready, you know, and the algorithm would uh, keep up with uh, that kind of, you know, large scale national level yes. implementation? Yes, definitely. Um, of course, when we scale it to millions, the any system, even fingerprint, yes. when you scale it to, finger, to, to millions, what happens is that the, the, the number of collisions uh, increases because even if, if all fingerprints are different we don't measure the entire fingerprint we measure points in the fingerprint what that makes is that if we are doing a system for 50 people we can measure five or six points if we are measuring it for millions of people we need to measure more points in that in in, in the fingerprint and 
for um, a keystrokes dynamic system to work on itself and um, we would need to define that passwords can't be four characters long they would need to be for a country like the us hard guess probably seven or eight characters long for us to have enough points to make all of them distinguishable but yes definitely this is a type of system that supports a, 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 a system for 100 million users um, without requiring extraordinary measures extraordinary hardware um, of course we need to have databases that support 100 million users but the hardware that is common for that type of, of systems it would be more than enough to keep up with this type of algorithm yes absolutely no i think it's a very impressive uh, uh, work and i think there is a lot of potential in the coming years this would likely be you know integrated with uh, some of some other you know approaches that we have it probably you know people will not uh, use this you know see as a standalone system but uh, as we discussed before that we use facial id with that we use you know a graphic password with that and then you know this kind of behavioral uh, keyboard you know analysis then uh, those kind of systems will be very difficult for anybody to break into so yes there is good there is definitely a huge potential for this to be commercialized and uh, on that point what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners about your how to reach you if any uh, anybody's interested in uh, discussing you know how to take this uh, to the next step and commercialize this yeah so i i work at champlain college online here in vermont usa uh, you can go into our website and find me there because i'm the program director for the undergrad program in cybersecurity and the grad program in digital forensic sciences and the undergrad program in software development so if you look into any of those programs you find me there and there's my email address there and i'm always happy to work with the community work in the industry with other uh, scientists so anybody that is interested in talking with me about this and discussing this they are welcome to, to track me on our website and just send me an email i'll be happy to talk with anybody wonderful so thank you so much professor magales for participating in risk roundup today we appreciate your thoughtful insight on a machine learning approach to keystone dynamics based user authentication and i'm sure our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you provided and as a result this risk roundup dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that Thank you for having me. Wonderful, Professor. So Risk Group is a strategic security risk research platform and community, and our strategic security community and ecosystem is the first and only cross-disciplinary and collective community that is made of top scientists, security professionals, thought leaders, entrepreneurs, philanthropists, policymakers, and academic institutions from across nations collaborating to research, review, rate, and report strategic security risks to protect the future of humanity. Add your voice to risk groups. To find out how you can get involved, please go to riskgroupllc.com. Until next time, I'm Jayashree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.